Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, O warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you, renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on the day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all of your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before, the, before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Luke 3, 7 through 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He asked to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Advent. As we've been exploring what this season means for us, we've looked at hope and how uh, Advent is a time of expectation and anticipation. When we looked last week at peace, we unpacked how Advent is a time of preparation. Today, as we start to explore joy, I want to, us to consider how Advent is also a time of good deeds. 
there's just this great amount of, well, Christmas spirit that people just want to be kind to one another, and it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, one of the ways we see this is uh, probably the most typical if you've been to a grocery store recently is the Salvation Army bell ringers out there. We see that the opportunity for generosity even as we're just going into the store. Uh, the great amount of generosity that people are just willing to give during this time. Give to various toy drives, give to various uh, uh, food banks and projects that are going on in the community. Even right here in our, in our own home, we've had many mission projects in this season that have been very successful. During this time, we've written uh, dozens of Christmas cards. We've collected 15, uh, toys for 15 angels off our angel tree, which was just phenomenal. Thank you all so much for that. And then uh, last week at our, for our white Christmas offering, we collected around $600 to go to Embrace Alabama Kids. And we cannot thank you enough for your generosity and willingness to support these groups like this. Advent is just a time of good deeds. I remember uh, growing up, the, the church that we went to uh, whenever I was about youth age had a very interesting practice that I don't know how it got started up. I don't even know how we got involved in it, but it was a time in our family's lives when we were, it wasn't financially the easiest time. Uh, in fact, there were, there were a lot of challenges that our family was facing during this uh, particular Christmas season. And, uh, and one Christmas Eve, uh, really late at night, probably around 11 o'clock p.m., my dad heard a knock on the front door. This is a little bit sketchy, right? It is 11 o'clock at night, and uh, it felt a, he was still awake, so it felt a little bit too early for Santa. Plus, we did have a chimney, so why the front door? And uh, he opened the door, and nobody was there, which was also a little bit suspicious. But down at his feet, he saw a basket, an enormous basket, basically like a wicker laundry basket, that was f overflowing with uh, different food items and, uh, and a couple of little toys here and there. And uh, in this massive basket was a little letter that explained that this is a project that our church does in order to uh, support families who might need a little uh, bit of an extra hand during this time. And uh, it comes with all of the fixings to be able to make an enormous Christmas breakfast and, uh, and also a couple of other things just to be able to have fun with. And the only expectation is that the next year, the next Christmas Eve, you take this basket and you do the same for some other family. You fill it up with all of these food items and uh, all of this stuff to make a big Christmas breakfast and take it to another family that you feel like might need an extra helping hand. And so we woke up, uh, my sister and I woke up that Christmas morning and came downstairs to an enormous Christmas breakfast, the likes we had never seen before. And my dad told us this beautiful story about this good deed that people we still don't know who it was did for us that Christmas Eve. The very next year, I remember uh, very distinctly, uh, my dad let me help him with this. It was about uh, 10 or 11 o'clock at night, way too late for me to be staying up, uh, but there we were, taking this basket of all these uh, food items to uh, another church member's house, and uh, I remember us leaving it on the front porch, and I got to knock on the door and sprint away really quickly so that nobody would see us, and the mystery continued, and the next year, this basket was dropped off at another house, and another, and another. 
Advent is just a time of good deeds. It's also a time of great joy. And in fact, these two things are not uh, uncommonly linked. In fact, there is a strong correlation between kindness and joy. You see, uh, on a very biological level here, see, you know, I've got my degree in clinical mental health counseling, so I have to take the, the <laughs> mental health side of all of this. On a very biological level, anytime we do something that's kind for somebody else, it releases in our body three different neurotransmitters. Fancy word for saying a little chemical in our brain. Uh, the first is serotonin. This is our mood balancing chemical. Uh, serotonin helps us keep an even state, but also helps us feel satisfied, content with everything that's going on in our lives. The second one is uh, dopamine, and this is our excitement chemical. This is the one that gets released if you're like on a roller coaster or something like that. Uh, uh, dopamine is the one that helps us feel elated. And then the third one are endorphins, and endorphins are a uh, neurochemical that help us, uh, that give us what's called, uh, most commonly known as the runner's high. So if you're a runner or somebody who likes to exercise like that, and after you get done with a, uh, with a big run, you feel just like all of this energy and excitement, it's from endorphins. Your body actually probably couldn't handle doing much more excitement, but your brain wants to fill you up with this excitement saying, this is good, this is what I want. I know it might be hard for some of us to imagine that that's some, an experience that we would have after running, but it does happen. Uh, so showing kindness, doing a good deed for others, releases these three neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins, along with some others like oxytocin, but we won't get into all of that. But it helps us experience joy. And, uh, and, and so I, I, one thing that makes me think about this every single time is uh, another one of my favorite movies. I know I talk about my favorite movies and I probably have too many favorites for me to call them favorites anymore. Uh, but one of my favorite movies is the movie Radio. came out in 2003, I think. Uh, it's a, a, a movie about a young man who, uh, who is on the uh, autism spectrum who is uh, unofficially adopted by a high school football coach, uh, Coach Jones, and uh, becomes a part of the football team and ends up teaching the entire community this big lesson. Uh, after the football season, radio is pretty well known in the community, and he ends up attending a Christmas mass with the, uh, with the coach's family. And at this mass, a lot of the community members end up giving his, they call him radio, uh, because he likes to listen to the radio a lot. Uh, they end up, the community members end up giving radio a bunch of Christmas presents. I mean, like an enormous amount of Christmas presents. And what is just absolutely phenomenal about this scene, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, uh, is that he ends up taking all of these Christmas presents in his shopping cart, which he's often seen with, and he starts going door to door in the community, giving these Christmas presents back to the community. Different people getting different gifts. But it is this moment of good deeds and this moment of joy for him that he got to share with what, out of his abundance, out of what he had been given, got to share that with the community. And everybody loved it. By the end of the movie, uh, there's still some people who aren't fully on board with radio being such a significant part of the community. And they're complaining that the reason why the football team isn't winning is because radio is a distraction. And uh, Coach Jones offers his resignation at this community meeting and says, 
Radio has been here to teach us all something, to teach us how to be better people toward one another, to teach us how to be kind to one another. And it's, it's wonderful. I, I feel uh, in Coach Jones' speech this moment where he just wants to take a passage from Luke and say, you brood of vipers, how do you not get it? He's calling on us to be just as kind as radio has been to each and every one of us. That said, the concept of joy during this season is very much focused on our own joy. We think about you know, what makes us feel joyful, the experiences in which we can have in order to feel joy. But I wonder, how often do we consider what brings God joy? And so that's going to kind of be my charge for us today, is to take that concept of joy away from ourselves and start asking, what brings God joy? Our Old Testament passage uh, this morning is an incredibly powerful passage uh, for a number of reasons that would be really complicated for me to unpack all at once here. But those of you who are in Sunday school this morning get, got, to, got to know a little bit about that. Uh, but it calls for the people to rejoice because God is going to rejoice over them. And now, this might seem like a pretty common b b biblical passage, but it really stands out if you look at the whole of Zephaniah, one of the Old Testament prophets. Only three chapters in this book, really easy to get through in a single sitting, except for the first two chapters are all about judgment. We don't really like those judgment passages all that much. God saying, this is what you did wrong, and this is what you're going to get because of it. And the prophet Zephaniah echoing uh, these refrains to the people. And, and for two straight chapters, there's all of this judgment and anger and wrath and all of this stuff going on. And then all of a sudden, the very last verses of the book of Zephaniah come from our passage today, which say... Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your hearts, O daughter Jerusalem. How did we get from the judgment and anger and wrath to be joyful? Right? There's this beautiful little shift that happens in the verses just before our passage today. Uh, this, this moment from verses 8 to 13 that understands how, uh, that helps us understand how God's joy and the people's joy show up after all of this judgment. And it starts out by saying, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, for the day when I arise as a witness, for my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble the kingdoms. Sounds pretty nice so far. We're gathering together. To pour out upon them my indignation. All the heat of my anger. For in the fire of my passion, all the earth shall be consumed. Yeah, this is pretty common for Zephaniah chapter 1, one and 2. All of this indignation, wrath, anger, fire, that sort of uh, understanding. But here's the thing. We don't get it often enough. God's anger, God's wrath, is not the same as human anger and wrath. And here's how I know that to be true. Because it doesn't stop with verse 8. 
Verse 9 picks up in unpacking God's indignation and anger and, uh, and uh, jealousy, a passion. At that time, God says, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From the, beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my, supply, my suppliants, my scattered ones shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of all the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. For I will leave in the midst of you a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. They shall do no wrong and utter no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. Then they will pasture and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. So if you didn't catch it, because I read too fast, or it's weird language from the Old Testament, this indignation and anger and the fire of God's passion, they're not about destruction and killing off people and all of this like hatefulness. Rather, God's anger, God's wrath, God's fire is about transformation. Do you hear that? It's about transformation. The wrath of, of God is a transformative force, not a destructive one. That says in verse 9 that God's going to change the people's speech and worship. And then redeem them from shame. Remove from them pride and haughtiness. And instead instill humility and see that the people seek refuge in God. These will be the people who will do no wrong, tell no lies, and have no deceit in them. And it is from these points right here, verses 8 through 13, that we get to the point in verse 14 on that says, Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. Find joy because God's anger isn't about destruction. God is about transformation. And he's calling them to be a transformed people, a people who resemble kindness, goodness, a people who in action just as much as speech are holy people. And here's the thing about Zephaniah. It starts out with this focus on the people's joy, but then in verse 17, it makes this shift where it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt you over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. We have this shift in verse 17 that moves it from the people's joy to God's joy. And so there's this interesting formula that Zephaniah pulls together that says, God's joy leads to the joy of the people. But God's joy comes from the people being transformed, right? Do you hear that? that? That beauty in all of that, the power that's coming from Zephaniah's words. And guess what? It's echoed even more so whenever we get into our Luke passage, Luke chapter 3, which is a continuation of our Luke passage from last week. Um, this notion of, uh, of God's joy being found in our transformation. We see that God's joy is found 
in the fruit of our transformation. Uh, when we turn to Luke's passage, Luke starts using this language uh, of, uh, or excuse me, John starts using this language of fruit as he's preaching to the people. So all of these people have come to be baptized. And he says, you brood of vipers. In other words, you don't get it yet. You're coming for the religious part, but you're not letting that religious part transform your lives. And he goes on to say, uh, to where he says, Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He tells them, Bear fruit worthy of repentance. And the crowds start to ask of him, What do we do? How do we bear good fruit, fruit that is worthy of repentance? And uh, John starts uh, teaching them that it's about a transformed life. And so whenever the, the people ask him, what should we do? He says in reply, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. I don't know about you, but I've got a closet of coats which seems absolutely silly considering we live in Mobile and I've used them one time. And yet there are those who have no coats. And he goes on to say, whoever, uh, and whoever has food must do likewise. Right? To whoever has food must also share with those who have none. This is what that whole basket project on Christmas Eve was all about. Some people have it, some people do not. And so we share with those who do not. Out of our abundance, we give generously. But here's the thing. It's not just the common people who are coming to John with this. Also, tax collectors come to be baptized and they ask him, Teacher, what should we do? And John says to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. That's it. So tax collectors in this day, a little bit of context here, tax collectors were like the, some of the most despised people in the world because all they had to do was come up to your house and say, or your business and say your taxes are due and this is how much you owe and you had to give it to them. Or otherwise you could be arrested or other uh, horrible punishments. And there was no online record of how much you owed in taxes. They just told you and they would collect it, right? And so... More often than not, they would give a little bit higher of a number that you owed so that they could pocket what didn't actually need to go to uh, the Roman Empire. And so tax collectors were despised in the community because they always collected more than they need. And they come to John and say, okay, what do we need to do? And John says, it's very simple. Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Just do your job right. Don't be greedy. But it's not even the, just them. Then also soldiers come. And soldiers are also a group of people that the rest of the common people did not love because soldiers were bullies. They could essentially say, you have to do this for me because I'm part of the Roman army. And it could be any number of crazy requests. And they come and they say, and we, what should we do? And John says to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. In other words, be happy with what you have and respond kindly to others. So all of these people are coming to be baptized. 
And John says, this is great, but you're not getting it. You're not getting the point of this baptism. It's not just about some ritual purity. It's about a transformed life. Your lives, in other words, need to look different on the other side of this baptism. Because that is what brings God joy. He charges them to be kind. Because God's joy is found in this kindness. And John even warns them by saying, uh, by saying that just having Abraham as an ancestor is not enough. Because in the Jewish culture, this notion of being a descendant of Abraham meant that you belonged to the chosen people, the Israelites. But John says, that's not enough. God can raise up ancestors from, Dave, uh, from Abraham from these stones. Like being an ancestor of Abraham is nothing special. Instead, your faith must look like the faithfulness of Abraham. That there be this real transformed life about you. I, I love how this can be applied to the church today. Because essentially, if we were to translate this out of Judaism and into Christianity, what John would be saying to us is, it's not enough that you come to church. I'm step on some toes really quick. It's not enough that you come to church. Yes, that's great, and it's meaningful, and it's a profound uh, location for worship and fellowship and, and education, but that's not what it's all about. It's about a transformed life, a life that looks different on the other side, a life that looks different outside of these doors, inside this community, inside this world. It's about how we treat one another with kindness, because that is where the joy of the Lord is found. So often throughout the prophets, they are echoing this notion that God doesn't care about the worship and the offerings and all of this stuff nearly as much as God cares about mercy, justice, righteousness, doing good to other people. Just read chapter 6 of the prophet Micah, personal favorite for obvious reasons. The Lord doesn't care about all of these religious symbols and all of this stuff nearly as much as God cares about how we care about one another. That's where the joy of the Lord is found. That's what the fiery wrath and anger of God is all about, transforming us to be people who actually live out lives of faith rather than those who just claim a life of faith. And so my challenge for each and every one of us is to take the very challenge that John gave to all those who came to be baptized. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Good fruit. Advent is a time of good deeds, of kindness. And there are opportunities all around us right now to do good deeds, to show kindness. So be kind as often as you can, and even more often than that, because there might be times we want to come up with an excuse not to be kind. As often as we can, be kind. And don't let it stop after Christmas. New Year's is a, we start to make these resolutions. Maybe a good resolution would be kindness in the year 2022. Imagine that if everybody adopted that as their resolution. I know we give up on them before February, but at least the month of January would be awesome. Kindness. Bear fruit worthy of repentance because we bring the joy, the joy of the Lord when we bear good fruit. Let us pray.